Hey friends, it's Mark Graham here. We have a very special live episode of the Promo Kitchen podcast airing next week. Seth Godin, yes, the Seth Godin, will be joining Kirby Hossman and me for a conversation about his new book and the ways it applies to the promotional products industry. It's on Tuesday, March 24th at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Sign up today at promokitchen.org slash Seth 15. See you there. Just a note to listeners of this particular episode. There are some swear words used throughout the episode and we chose to keep them unbleeped in an effort to maintain the flavor of the interview. If you're concerned about the language, we would advise you skip this particular episode. Promo Kitchen is a nonprofit organization committed to the advancement of the promotional products industry through education and mentorship. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Promo Kitchen Podcast. If you're a new listener, the PK Podcast is a community-inspired conversation featuring guest suppliers, distributors, and service providers discussing insights into the $20 billion promotional products business. My name is Mark Graham, CEO of Common Skew, and I'm joined by fellow chefs today, Danny Rosen with Brand Fuel Promotions and T. Hamilton with Creative Alchemy. Every February, a team of marketing and design geeks descend upon Raleigh for the annual High Five Conference. And at that event, no one was geekier than today's guest. This is someone who dazzled the audience with stories about how he became a one-man graphic design branding machine. That man is Aaron James Draplin. For the uninitiated, let me tell you a little bit about Aaron. Growing up on a steady stream of Legos, Star Wars, family trips, little sisters, summer beach fun, stitches, fall foliage, drawing, skateboarding, and snowboarding, at 19, Aaron moved west to Bend, Oregon to hit the jumps out west. His career in graphic design started with a snowboard graphic for solid snowboards, and it took off like wildfire soon after. Everything from lettering cafe signs to drawing up logos to thinking up local advertising campaigns were manhandled under the ruse of the newly formed and gigantically reckless Draplin Design Company. In today's episode, we are going to speak about art, graphic design, and zigging while others are zagging. Aaron is a hero to many, and we are so lucky to have nabbed a few minutes of his time today. Aaron, welcome to the show, my friend. That's pretty good, man. You had a good voice. (laughs) <laughs> I try. It's the, it, it's I'm like, listening. Yeah, I'm, I'm waiting for you to mess up, man. It's pretty good, man. Good. Thank it's, you. Hey, the pleasure is all ours. I think I'm going to start off with a question for you, Aaron. You decided to become a freelancer about 10, 11 years ago. Why did you make that decision to go out alone? Well, I think it was just sort of after having your heart broken in professional situations. Professional is a weird word. You know, I'm, I have to be professional, of course. I try to be, you know. <laughs> But it can also be very constricting and, you know, it'll just make fun things very unfun with lots of emails and it's really no fault of any of the places I got to work for or freelance for or whatever. But, you know, you just quickly kind of get this sense where, you know, we'll just say this much. One guy who had been freelance for a number of years said, listen, there's no reason you'd be pretending to want to come in here. Hmm. And he had already made the jump a couple of years before that. And, I, you know, he worked out of home. He had a baby. He was raising that baby. He was... It just seemed a lot healthier, and he didn't have the same list of laments I had, and that's just, it was a really good perspective, and I just said, all right, you know, I'm going to go try and see if I can pull off what he's doing. But I did it in a way which was pretty uh, strategically. I didn't just leave. I, I, I saved a bunch of money. I got myself into a house, 
and then had a couple small clients just you know kind of getting going. So I made sure I had a couple ducks in a row, mm. and then went for it. You know, and and it's it's still scary, but it was it was a reaction to kind of say, God, man, we are wasting so much time in these places, and we're playing like ping pong all day, which was totally cool, it was really fun. But then you're working from like you know three to five to slay the whatever you're working on. And like, what about, like, why even come in at 9 in the morning? Mm. You know, when you're just going to fuck around all day or whatever. Well, sorry, is the language okay? I don't, I, I, I I don't want to get in any trouble. I think we're good. I'll keep it cool. I'll keep it cool. I, I apologize. <laughs> I think we're good. But, um, you know, the idea that you're just wasting a lot of time. So, listen, when I went freelance, whatever that means, when I freed myself up from these other, you know, sort of like, you know, someone else, not necessarily even making the rules, there weren't any rules, you know, and it wasn't about jobs even being lucrative or not. It was about, did I even like it? Yeah, and you know, suddenly everything just changed. Where I wasn't bummed to go into a job, I was excited to get up and work on a project, or I was excited to to make something new with my friends. And I, I, I'm blown away that that is like refreshing to everybody who's listening or something, because it was to me. But it's kind of like I had to sort of I don't know. I had to have a couple other brave people around me do it, and then me see it, and then I went for it. You know, I will never ever go back because I've built systems and stuck with this that I couldn't have built under the thumb of someone else. It's not even salary. It's just the idea of like feeling free. Yeah. You know? So I don't know how to you know, it's freelance is a weird word and, and, and it's just kinda of like just I just went on my own and got the control to be able to say, This feels good to me. That's been about eleven years. Yeah. That's awesome. You know, the, you gave a great presentation at the Portland TEDx conference a couple of years ago. And one of the things that made me laugh out loud when I was watching it is you were talking about the guys with the waxed mustaches. Uh, you'd even acknowledge that a few of them were in the room. <laughs> and, oh, yeah, uh, man. This Portland Oregon is a great exporter of bullshit hipsterism. I mean, I fall right into it. I mean, yeah. you know, whatever. You know, it's, I love it. it. It becomes a parody when you go and you start to, here we go. Yeah, here we go. You know, look at all this. But, you know, that's great. I mean, it's, I mean, I'd rather be here than be in some, you know, I don't know, some hate rally in South Dakota, which I've driven through, you know, whatever that is, you know, uh, you know, some committee to get Palin elected or something. I saw that one time driving through there, you know, and it was just like, man, if the height of our worries in Portland, Oregon is some turkeys, I don't know, wearing all the latest cool stuff, well, then fine, those are small things. Nobody yeah. cares about that anyway. It just becomes a, there's, there's a funny little sameness to Portland. You know, like anywhere, like anywhere that's that's fun and has a lot of young kids moving to it, and they become little fun cliques. And I'm sure that's in every single little subgenre of subgenre of subgenre. And if you know, if people are pointing fingers at me for being, I mean, I, things haven't changed all that much for me. You know what I mean? It's just weird when you see these little archetypes that really, really fall in line. But that's all right. That's everywhere. You know, I'd rather have those guys to deal with than uh, you know some jock. You know, right. some jock. You know, whatever that means. Yeah. And so where I was going with that is it got the impression when you were making that presentation that those guys were kind of like the man to you and that you well, no, you, you had like moved on and, you know, is it was I misreading that in terms of... No, I mean, I, I don't think I even, I don't think I moved on. I think it just it went right up above me at all. Right. You know, I, get, I get plugged into that stuff now too, you know, which is just insane. But it, it really what it comes down to is not necessarily the wax mustaches as much as it's just... You know, it's bottom line-ism, yeah. you know, where the bottom line is, like, we have to be profitable. We cannot just, you know, uh, we're not going to take this job because it's fun. We're going to take this job because it's only lucrative or we're only going to sell at this price because we have to make this much. Like, man, fuck all that. I, I give stuff away. I keep things cheap so I can sell more of them. 
I just keep them affordable because I don't want them to get this taste in their mouth. You go into some of these places in Portland and the sandwich is like 15 bucks, and it's like it doesn't need to be 15 bucks, you know. It could probably be eight or nine, and they're still making their money, but it's just because they can. Like it just kind of freaks me out, you know. I would hope that when someone comes and looks at all the funny little things I make, that nothing really feels like it's out of reach, you know. It's like it's it's a thirty dollar poster, and we cover the shipping. It's just more of like a, a weird little experiment. I make money on it, sure, but it's not something that's like elevated. Yeah, well, you're talking about some really good stuff here. I, will you tell the listeners the story about a guy selling hot dogs in Portland that had sort of no brand concept and what you did for him? You're talking about giving back and sort of how that's paid off for you. Tell that story, will you? I, I can't. Did you hear what I was saying before? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I, I can. Okay, okay, yeah, well, um, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, I didn't finish that other thought. I can't remember what I was even talking about. It must have been so profound. Um, yeah, well, um, I mean, I, I guess just to cinch that up, when things get out of hand, you're, you're contributing to it, it's scary, you know? And now this town has, like, a license to do that shit, and it's just a reminder for me to be like, no, 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 I'm going to keep my things reasonable. I'm going to keep my stuff just because I can, I'm not going to force that on people. That, that cinches that up. So that's a bit of, you know, that TEDx quip I'm, I'm probably betting. But, yeah, my, my buddy Corey, you know, he has uh, a little hot dog cart. And, of course, that's something people make fun of in town here. But, you know, it was a cool little idea seven, eight years ago. And he takes them to events and has it up at Mount Hood, you know, which is a summer snowboard sort of spot and ski sort of spot. And he got in a little bit of trouble because he was using the G.I. Joe logo from Cobra Commander or something. Might have been using it unfairly. Ketchup and mustard dripping off it. And basically got a letter of cease and desist. They came after him and it scared him, of course. I and mean, he said to go hit up other people in town that had always told him, if you ever need any help, you let us know. You know, and then they were hip people and then they were people who were, were like real big, big huge people. And none of them had time for it. Who's who's writing? I can hear that really, really well. Who's what what's We that? thought that was that you. Me? There's writing. Not I me. Are you drawing like a, like a <laughs> sketching? Someone have like a Aaron's microphone face? on the end of a pencil? Okay. okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. Beautiful penmanship. Sure, I can hear it. That's how yeah. we podcast here, Aaron. Like, okay. we, we actually sketch out, you know, your words, and then we, like, send it to like an infographic. I, I, I was actually sketching you, Aaron. I, I'm looking at my hands going, and my, like, uh, like, uh, sometimes I'll sit and work while I'm doing this. You can hear the mouse click. You know, the mouse work Never really care. Okay, so getting back to that. So anyway, he goes to all the guys in town. No one takes him on because there's no budget, you know. And then he gets these, like, snarky, you know, sort of replies of, like, oh, come on, man, there's no money. You know, come on, you know, this, that. And, the, you know, it was kind of a test. You know, here's a guy that's in some trouble. And then he comes to me, and I just say, sure, man, let's do it. I can always find time to help somebody or to make that thing. I mean, I was actually, it was just kind of curious because, first of all, he's your buddy, and what little time I could put into it, and it turned into putting a lot of time into it because you just sort of fall for it really quick because it's not about it being cool or it being lucrative or it being to get you up a ladder. It's just like you just want to don't, you don't want to see your friend get in trouble, you know? So I made him a new logo, and there was no money involved. There's never been any money involved. And out of that, which was really fun, was just to see him, you know, the thing come alive. Number one, to get him out of trouble. I've told this story a squillion times. But it's like it really opened my eyes to just kind of relaxing, enjoying design for design. And then, you know, what happens when you use it towards something that could be really subversive or to rescue your buddy? 
what about just doing it just for the hell of it? You know, yeah. you know, you can't pay your mortgage with that. I get it, but it, it's not a bad thing. Well, because I was open to that, that has really been a great lesson for me. Because you know, now I've gotten bigger and better logos because people can maybe sense that that didn't come from a place of adversarial proportions. You know, where the the clients the this and the the, the designer is the that. You know, that kind of shit. No, we were just working together, and you can feel it. It was fun. And frankly, you know, what little time I had on it, he's going to take whatever I give him, you know. But I wanted him to love it. I wanted it to work for him. And, you know, that's, these are just little things. And, and if it's Cobra Dogs we're talking about or any number of things I've made over the years, I keep room for that. You know what I mean? Like, I keep yeah. room for that stuff. You know, I mean, some of it you make big money. Sometimes people come and say, the money isn't all that good, you know. And I'll just kind of say, I just like you guys. Let's go. Local brands or whatever. Hey, Aaron, I've got a question for you about that. Mm -hmm. I can hear the authenticity and the enthusiasm that, you know, you're, you're bringing to this conversation and you're saying it's for a buddy or a relative and you helped them out and hardly charged them anything. But is your approach, like the way that you work with your buddy who's in trouble, any different than it would be to some big corporation that's coming to you for a larger graphic design assignment or are there some things that are exactly the same in terms of how you, you can't talk to your clients like they're dirt that's for sure <laughs> I had no problem with Corey Grove he's you ought to see this guy right you know he's you know he's your brother he's your buddy he's, he's someone that you can confide in and stuff so yeah th that's lifted and that's beautiful because yep. we can sit there and really get down to the brass tacks of like okay you got to pick something man it's time yep. because there is this dance there is this sort of unspoken, hmm, they delivered us all this stuff, and let's make them deliver more myths to a lot of this stuff. You know, and it's, it hurts us little designers because we really think we're showing something good right out of the gates and blah, blah, blah. But it's kind of like, you know, with him, of course, the process of how I would make it is really no different. You sketch and think and research and look at stuff and then go and attack it and then show him something and let him react. That's no different. That's no different. As you go up the old food chain, they wouldn't, or maybe they do, I don't know, they wouldn't know how loose I kind of go. There's no way they'd know. I mean, by the tightness of the emails or, you know, hopefully the exchange of the back and forth, it would feel on time and it would, you know, of course, I'm trying to be very ideal how I talk about it now. But with him, it's kind of like, you know, we, we kept it really loose. Now, I always try to push the client into a loose zone just to kind of let them relax. So, you guys, this is supposed to be the fun part. We're making your logo. Like, stop with the... So, I don't know, just enjoy this. And I, th that'll come out of me because I really try to, you know. Why does everything have to be such a battle? And and then, you know, that's what you hear designers lamenting about. It's like, man, I haven't had a lot of that because, you know, I think they, they sense it in me right away that I'm excited to work on their stuff and, it, it, I, you know, I want them to love it, you know. That's, that's I, I don't know, is that different than how other people talk about it? Well, fine, you know, and you're going to die someday too. Hopefully when I die, I look back and go, God, I, I really liked what I got to do. You know, it wasn't just this sort of like battle. You know, if you look back and everything was just some big battle, who even wants to, you know, why even keep doing it? You know, I can honestly say I really love working on a lot of the stuff. I mean, some of it was rough, sure, and then you don't go back to that stuff, you know. But some of it was incredible, you know, where it's like, God, you know, I worked for 10 years on two clients, Cole Headwear and, and Union Binding Company, because they were like a brother to me. Each guy was like a brother, and we grew up together in a lot of ways. So that's a lot different, you know. That's really, like, impressive to me, and, and that's not your, your normal relationship where it's like this, you don't even want to be on the phone. A lot of times those guys hated everything about me, but you know what I mean? Mm. We could level with each other. 
and it wasn't fake phone calls and fake things and whatever. You know, I could get on the phone and say, "My paycheck is late." Yeah. You know, and not dance around all these emails and shit, which you know is the way it always goes. Aaron, you you yeah. said the word and in incredible. I'm curious, what what's incredible design to you? I think it's just when things are hitting on all cylinders, and that might even be a really soft thing, or it might be something that elevates, you know, something very small to go and play with kind of the bigger dogs, which is always really interesting that design can do that. But it's kind of like, you know, I love something that's dirty, and then design cleans it up, mm. so it's palatable for people, and they can get past. You know, if you were to sit with the same guy in his restaurant, you would say, geez, this guy's pretty rough, he's got tattoos, he's got hair, he's got a beard, he's got whatever. Not me, I'm talking about, you know, some proprietor. And... You know, how they know the brand is through, you know, the materials or the sign or the logo. And it makes someone comfortable to go in there. That's kind of a cool thing because it strips away all the sort of, like, pretense that, you know, you, you should be one kind of person or one kind of business person or whatever. And then you're really just enjoying it for, like, well, the sandwich you got. Mm. You know what I mean? That, to me, is something that's really kind of fun. It's kind of subversive, like, in a way. You know, it's like it, it can take something small and make it big. And, you know, vice versa, you see things that are really big trying to be small, you know. We saw something last night that was just so, just such bullshit. I don't know, it was a Taco Bell commercial or something. They tried to go get, like, a bunch of hipster, I don't even know if it was Taco Bell, yeah, maybe it was, you know, and try to make, like, all these years later, they're just never going to get it. And they're just never, ever going to get it. You cannot hire an actor to look like the real McCoy. It just doesn't feel like it. You know, it's so forced. And there's just millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars spent on that shit. It's like, just go out and hire the kids who you're emulating. But in our world, that's all we know because that's all we can afford. <laughs> you know, whatever. You know, these guys, it's, it's, that, that's on, you know, we're watching TV and, well, Walking Dead. And you see some commercial and you just cringe. Just like, man. You're just never going to get it. Well, that's because that person who's making it doesn't know those people. They don't know them. It's an idea of what, you know, that art or limited edition shoe or whatever goofy thing they were making was supposed to look like that was like so to anybody in that know would look at it and just go, ugh, and cringe and alienate all the people they're going at. You know what I mean? In our world, it's just, it's, I don't know, my world, whatever, my buddy's world, it's just a little different. Yeah. We don't really have these big things to go after, so they're small little decisions yeah. used in fun little ways. You know, and yeah. it's always you said the word authentic. What else is there, man? I hate that when it becomes this word that's like something you get to choose from. Like, oh, now he's being inauthentic. That's pretty rough. I'd hope everyone who comes and talks here is authentic. You know what I mean? Whatever their level is, you know, they just like if you sense that it doesn't feel like that. That what's the word you use in your podcast then? Hmm. You're guarding things, Mr. You know, whoever the hell it is. I've been in those situations where everybody is guarded because they have to be. They're representing some big shoe company, you know, 20 miles to the, uh, to the west of here. I get it. Well, in my life, it's been a little bit more relaxed, you know, at least the last 10 years where we didn't have to pretend, you know, we could just kind of go for it. Yeah. I, I know that that sounds like an anomaly, and that just kind of makes me feel like a little bit sad. You know, because no, it's like, I, you know, I, I love it. I love it. You should be able to go and enjoy your job. You know, right? Hey, Aaron, do you work with your clients, of course, with the logo and developing a brand and things like this, but do you go further than that? Do they usually have you on helping them do more besides the logo, like developing the whole sort of look and feel and taste? Or Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It depends on how far it goes. Like in fact, I have a friend in town here who put me in front of his partners and said, why don't you explain our marketing plan? And it was like, we didn't have one. I looked at him and I said, we don't, we don't have one. What are you talking about? We, we haven't talked about what kind of ads you're going to run or how many banner ads or how many 
impressions or how many others. I don't even know how to talk about that stuff. That's not from our world. This guy that he put me in front of was expecting that, right? And it's because my buddy was up against the wall. In that moment, I merged into something and morphed into some kind of marketing speak. Sometimes I, I don't touch any of that. I just hand them the logo and it's up to them to go and figure out how they're going to talk to the world. Other times, every single element, we discussed it. You know, on these two little brands I was talking about, snowboarding brands, Cole and Union, every little piece we talked about it because everyone really was, you know, you kind of get the sense that it's not that your neck is on the line, but we need to be very effective with what little we have. So, of course, I was helping out there. So, really, it comes down to systems, just for us to be smart about it and say, if we're going to have an ad buy and there's going to be, in the, at the end of the year, 46 different ads, we don't need to redesign that 46 different times. Let me make you eight of them, put them on a server, and you guys can go and reformat them, or I'll reformat them, and you have it done in a week. And if you, you know, but we never really, of course, because we were running so hot, you know, every week would come, it would be something different, and, you know, we were okay to roll with those punches, too. And that's just because of our working relationship. You know, so the answer is kind of like, yeah, but no, sometimes, you know. I mean, yeah. if they come after me, of course I can, like, get going and say, all right, let's just take a bunch of notes. Let's figure out what, what are our problems. The problems are this. Okay, let's solve it, you know. And so, yeah, you know, sometimes it's very clean where it's just like I do the logo, I hand them the logo, and they know what they're doing. They, they seek consultants who hand, you know, probably you guys who know how to go do that stuff. Other you times, talk about that love, you know, like, that relationship aspect of building with, with these guys. And, and I know as being an artist, too, is that, you know, you wear your heart on your sleeve so much that when you get that opportunity to fall in love with a certain brand or something like this, you just, you just want to keep running with it, you well, know, yeah, I mean, like I mean, giving birth or something, you know. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm not working on Kohler Union as much anymore because I've kind of run my course. I did a decade with those guys, and they have younger kids that we've sort of brought up and helped, you know, get up to speed. And i got to tell you, it's still, in some respects, my little baby, too, because I see things that they do. And it's the young kid, and I'll get around the phone with them to say, man, you got to watch your, cut, your type here. It's tiny little things. But, you know, I have to let go because I've got, you know, field notes. This is getting to the point where it's just it's totally sustainable on its own. Mm. Or all my merchandise and shipping that stuff and the logistics and picking up things from the printer and stuff is totally consuming. But, you know... Somewhere in there, I, I do client work also, you know, so it's kind of like those incredible little retainers I have with those guys, they were just, it, it runs course, you know, but it's hard to see it. It's hard to see it now in the world, knowing when I look at it and I go, oh man, with two minutes touching it, I could have helped them figure this out. But you know, the guys that are watching over it, they, they know their shit and they're, they're doing a great job. It's very rare, but yeah, I'll always go back and look at it from a place of, um, you know, yeah, love or care or, like, pride because my buddy started it and sort of came to my basement because our other buddy was already busy on another project, you know what I mean? And he would have started it in his basement. And then, you know, then he met me and, and went, you know, it's it's very, you know, they're like little tiny things. Like, if that thing never would have went, it only went a couple of years, we'd still love it, but it's 12 or 13 years old now, you know, and it's... It was like sales managers and things and warehouses and shit, you know, like professional things. Mm. So it's, you know, when I see it out in the world, the, the best time I see, like, Cole Headwear, I was up in Ottawa. It was colder than hell outside, and I see a guy, you know, come walking by, and he was a little, let's just say, I don't know, he was a little off his rocker. He was screaming, so he was a little out of it. Now, he could have just been a young kid who was going crazy, or maybe he had something wrong, but he was wearing a Cole hat. And it was cold as hell outside, and, you know, here's this guy going crazy on a street corner. And I just kind of bumped my buddy I was with, Steve, and said, man, 
look at that guy, like, you know, crazy as shit. You know, he, he's wearing a coal hat. That's incredible. You know, it's weird to me. So I, I, st I have a lot of those, it's like a little buzz you get. A little buzz to see our little guy out in the world. It's still beautiful. That's it's still beautiful. really cool. And it was scary. That guy scared the hell out of me. He was, you know, he was yelling at a bus stop or something. Mm. He's wearing a coal hat. So isn't that just interesting? You know. I think there's a lot of designers that are going to be listening to this podcast. And so, with that in mind, let's talk a little bit about you sharing an example that's maybe uh, disguised in advice for designers. Share something with listeners about when you had a situation where you disagreed with a client, and, and maybe it's a, a big Fortune 100 customer, or maybe it's just someone you just disagreed with, and how you handled it like a boss, but you kept your personal integrity intact. Because I think we all agree that designers come up with these fantastic images and brands and concepts, and yet in the C-suite or the decision maker or the pocketbook doesn't see it that way, and it becomes an incredible challenge. And you mentioned, I think, ego and pride. How do you advise them through those situations? Well, remember who's paying the paycheck. You kind of need to keep that in perspective. It's easy for it to turn into this like singular pursuit where you're saying, they didn't pick my thing and I'm pissed off. It's not really yours. Check the language you use. They came to you, but it's your job. And I really try to keep that in perspective. It just lessens the blow for me sometimes where I won't take it so hard. You know what I mean? I'll just kind of say, well, right. You know, in the end, Check it out, even to the weirdness of that, where it's like, if they want to make garbage, let them make garbage. I'm not going to fight them on it. I've had to do that a couple times, too, and that just that's the worst, because you just know you could have given them something so much better, and they're just because they're just being difficult or whatever you want to call it. You know, it's like, that's just, that just sucks. You know, and what's the, professional, what's the professional word for that? I don't know. I mean, hopefully, we wouldn't come to that. And I don't know if it's my way or the right or the wrong way, but I really try to make them love it along the way. Because then there isn't that curveball at the end that says, you know what, today I like this. They, they don't really get to do that. I put it in their hands from the beginning and said, guys, it's yours. Love it. What are you going to help me? What are you going to help me make? The vernacular is different. It's different. It's not this adversarial thing where there's gonna, they're allowed to make curveballs. No, I remind them of this. The, well, we're under the gun for this. You hired me to do this. Why are you making it? Well, you know, whatever. There's been only a couple, couple times where someone was a little out of line and kind of like tried to call me out and I had to remind them of what they asked for and how they asked for it and then they said to say, I'll tell you what, yeah, I see it, you're not going to pick anything I show. That's okay, that's all right. Then you go waste someone else's time. I'm gonna, and I just sent, I sent all of their money back, which is insane. Not the first, you know, you get the first half down as like, you know, some sort of confidence or whatever on both sides. But that one bummed me out so bad. I just said, just take it, just have it, just have it all back. I don't even want your money. You know what I mean? And that, they were just blown away by that because it was like, well, if you want to waste, if you, you know, for some arbitrary reason, I'm trying to help you, you know, or like someone asking for a deal. Like you're not allowed to ask for a deal when the guy puts a roof on your house, right? Right. Right. But isn't it amazing that people will just come and do that? Well, I've had to kind of say that, like, well, how's your, how's your HVAC guy? Well, I bet you he gets deals on, on the hour it took him to figure out why your shit was screwed up. Guy's never given me a deal, but that's okay. I mean, I can also work with that too. Okay, I get it. You know, you guys are in a pinch or something. You know, all right. You know, that's been pretty rare, and I can just honestly say I think I've just been pretty lucky. You know, I know people who go through that every single job, and I would tell them to quit that shit, get out of that, go make less with people you like. Has your approach to that changed over the last you know couple decades while you've been doing this because it sounds like it's a really mature approach that you're taking 
yet. There's a new one. There's a new one. Thank you. But but Thank was you. there? But you know, I'm, there you go. This is that you know, it's a compliment. I'll throw it out there. But I'm trying to think about a 20 year old Aaron Draplin, right? You know, you're fresh out west. You're full of piss and vinegar, and you're ready to take on the world. And you think you know everything. Like, was there a time where you may have taken that kind of criticism and rejection more personally? I do it right now. I mean, it, it just, it's just hard to, you know, to get someone excited and then have them arbitrarily flip on you. That doesn't happen that much, like I said. Like, so, okay, to go back to Danny's question, I, I get talking. I, I apologize. You know, it, it would just kind of say, like, listen, we're going to take it on the chin, youngster. You know, you're going to take it on the chin. Don't be bummed. When people lament at these conferences or these design talks I go to or these nights out where you're around a bunch of designers, and I hear them say shit like, oh, my God, and can you believe that the designer picked the shitty one? I hear this all the time, and all I can ever think is, why did you show them the shitty one? Exactly. Well, <laughs> okay, well, then, you know, right. I mean, the thing is, is, you know, you get what you, you know, so... Of course, that sounds a little pompous, like, oh, everything you show them. Well, yeah, I wouldn't show them anything I didn't love. If you have to start guiding with, like, the red herring kind of approach and stuff, oh, man, just come out and be up front and say, hey, you guys, do you like it or not? And then they have the confidence to say, maybe I'm not the right guy for this. I know it sounds a little weird, but you might not be the right guy, <laughs> you know, like that kind of shit, which is just so weird to me, but that's kind of what I've had to do a couple times and just kind of, you know, remind them and, the younger me, I'd say, well, relax. It's going to be all right. You know, yes, you are up against it, and yes, you know, uh, you need every single dollar, but you can let this job go. I would tell the younger me that. Mm. Let it go because you're just you hurt. You're going to be bummed, but let it go. And I, I've learned that from the guys I work with here in the shop, and it was just it was healthier to just to just take it on the chin and say, there's no way we're going to like you know, figure this shit out with these guys. There's no way, you know, whatever that meant, you know. Yeah. So that's a tough one. I mean, I, you know, it happens rarely for me. I, I, There's a stubborn part of me that will just continue to go and go and go, even if I'm losing money. So I'll just kind of be like, I know I can solve this, you know. There's a part of me that does that kind of shit, which probably isn't the best way to go about it, but whatever, you know what I mean? There's part of me that does that. So I don't know. The young me, what would I tell? Hmm, don't become a man mountain. Eat healthy vegetables and <laughs> eat, uh, pop and shit. You know, I don't know. That's what I tell I have to tell myself at forty one, you know, be mm -hmm. careful and be smart about this stuff and get, do your taxes right and you know, but you know what what was I told when I was that age? It was like, you know, I remember you know, I always go back to when you guys have heard a thousand times. I remember one doing this one I was young then, having this guy that was this big professional guy around the Minneapolis area. And I was a jerk and it really scared me. And I always think about it. It was like the best lesson to like have him be jaded that day because it really was kind of freaky, you know, because it was kind of like here we were just excited to even have his time and all the other things that you're doing, and he could care less about our, our plight or whatever. And in so many words, just kind of said, yeah, great. You showed us all your work. We like what you're doing, but you'll lose all that. He said it directly to me because he liked what I showed him, which was a nice little, you know, boost. But then he said, well, get a, have a wife. I have a mortgage, you'll lose all that shit. And it was just really dark. You know, I was like, what, you're having a bad day, man. You you get to work in this nice office and work on websites and cool shit, and you're going to tell me that you're just going mean, to, he was just beat down. Well, that's his problem, you know. Mm -hmm. All these years later, I can honestly tell you, yes, there's rough parts, and there's times I have to say things like, I just don't even want the job anymore. I just don't even want it anymore. That's something I had to learn in the last four to five years, to be confident enough to say, just screw it. 
You know, like, why even, you know, why even keep fighting it? You know, that was something really good to hear at that age because it just was like, okay, put on the old checklist what not to become. You know, might sound a little harsh, but it was the truth. Do you have anyone in particular that you've sort of followed over the years or have inspired you? You know, especially, like, I've seen, like, your direction and everything, and I really dig your aesthetic a whole lot. Because I just, I, I totally love the whole, you know, especially that the vintage angle and stuff like yeah. that. But yes. is there any that you look back and think, hey, so and so inspired me or oh, God, given so me many. direction? Yeah, I love that stuff. I love, I love giving a nod to the guys from House Industries or Chuck Anderson. It's all in the '90s, you know. It's when I was a kid, yeah. and these guys were like, you know, either took a couple minutes for me. You know, to say, hey, you know, not, they didn't really know what I did. How would they even know? In this Internet world now where we're all flopping around in, it's like, how do you even know? You know, how, Things are easier to find. Well, you know, I remember, you know, some of my design heroes are Chuck Andersons and stuff. I and mean, there's a new Chuck Anderson now. He's like a kid out of Brooklyn or something. He's such really good, you know, but there's a new Chuck Anderson. It's a different than the Chuck Anderson I know. And it was sort of a mentor. But that's one of the reasons I moved to Minneapolis, because of this sort of look and feel of Minneapolis kind of look. It was personable, it was funny, it was cool, and it wasn't so, you know, in the 90s when everything was very post-postmodern, high art bullshit, it was something I could sink my teeth into wherever I was living, up in Alaska or wherever the hell I was. And I just really appreciated that from their perspective. House Industries was the same way. It was lighthearted, and it was well done. And it wasn't too cool, you know. They're still like that, and I just, I just really appreciate them for that, you know. And every time I get to be around those guys, or a couple of years ago, I got to do a lettering thing with Ken Barber, who was one of the, you know, these house guys. And I just thanked them because they made it okay to to go after this stuff. And then, you know, to this day, who knows if those guys have degrees, much less awards? They've just been putting out cool stuff for years, and that's the taste I got in my mouth, you know, before I was went back to school and before I had any kind of professional job, you know. And then when you meet them all, yeah, you find out these are all really smart people and articulate and good, you know, business practices and just all this other shit. But it's like the, the first initial touch I had of it, it was a little bit more, there was a little bit of a punk rock quality to it. You know, and that's a loose, weird little word. It's not punk rock in the sense of spiky hair and shit. Yeah. It just wasn't going along with the, the shit that you'd see. And it was all over How Magazine and stuff. But what little I knew about it, every time I saw their stuff, it punched me in the face and made me stop and go, how do they make those forms? The writing is so well done. It's funny. It's this. It's that. It has an edge. You know, you're learning how to learn from them, you know, all these years later. So there's tons. I mean, I've never been able to meet Art Chantry. I would like to because his stuff just had the, just the biggest, awesomest middle finger to everything since I can remember. And I just love him for it. And now you see him made fun of in certain circles, and it's just blasphemy to me because that guy... Uh, really made it cool for a lot of the guys that are able to exist today. You know what I mean? That guy. But in, in equal parts, you know, I don't know. You know, that's designy kind of stuff. You know, it's the um, it's the the spit and blood and scary quality of you know the Jesus Lizard, which was a band I grew up on. Oh yeah. And going yeah. to see that stuff and being like, my God, you're gonna get hurt. You get. I got kicked <laughs> in the face by the guy when I was probably about 22. That's still one of the greatest shows I ever saw. You know, whatever. And Wow, isn't that just exciting? That, that that's my memory of that. I've met the guy a number of times, and he's a can be a mean little elf. But um, uh, you know, I still got to thank him for that. You know, you know what I mean? Like, 
those are the guys I, you know, to this day, like, you know, I'm still really interested in whatever it was. And, you know, what hurts as you get older is to see that they didn't make all that much money, mm. you know. That hurts really bad. And then, or to hear, you know, I know this is weird putting it on the podcast, but I've seen, like, Chantry having to, like, sell posters and shit on his website and say, I'm sorry, I'm in a pinch right now. That shouldn't be like that. That guy should just have some kind of a fund for the contribution he made to design. I don't know what that even how that what that even means, but I shouldn't be seeing that shit. That freaks me out. You know, I always kind of say, God, let me buy a couple of these things just to keep this guy because I have a generation of inspiration from him. Mm. You know, you know what I mean? Does that does that sound weird? I don't know. That's that's what I that's that's the stuff I sense. You know, but I don't know. It's weird growing up too, man. It's just weird growing up because. Now I have kids who put me in that category or something, which is just weird and awesome and a great, great responsibility and just totally weird, you know. The whole inspiring other people to do this sort of thing, it's almost like you're, you're using your talents for good and not evil, you know, and you know it in your heart and it makes you want to do it even more, you know, oh, yeah. or at least, yeah. you know, yeah. my perspective. But Yeah. I don't know. It's like it's... um. I remember the guys who didn't have time for me. And I wasn't asking for much, but mm-hmm. the ones who did, I still remember. And to this day, I have a list, you know, and you, you always hold them in a really, really high regard because they made that little bit of, you know, so every kid now comes up to me with those eyes like I might have had for those guys. I try to make time for them. A couple of years ago, I got to meet Sharon Warner in Minneapolis, and I just couldn't help but slather her with niceties and mm-hmm. just kind of say, so many years ago, you made beautiful stuff. Everything was beautiful, and the tiniest, tiniest of the of the details, I savored. And you did that stuff, and thank you. And I got to thank her. And she, you know, you know, this is at something that we were all at. But you know, I had kids coming up to me while I was standing there in front of her, and it's just funny how that shit shifts, you know, and weird. But that's all I could say in that moment to her was like, thank you. What I do now is directly in part of kind of what you showed me you could, you did. You know, and she was mysterious to me all those years I lived in Minneapolis. Probably still is. But when I met her, she was cool as shit. And it's like, you know, I, I go look at this work now all these years later, and it's still, it's still got that little buzz for me. Every time I'm in Target, I pick up those Myers things, those little cleaning soaps and stuff. I just can't get enough of it because her place is touching it, you know. It's, it's well done. Wink, the guys from Wink, oh, man, you know. I, to this day, you know, I don't even know if it's, it might even just be down to one guy, but still, that guy, everything he touches, you know, is incredible. Scott, you know, is incredible. Wink. You know, I'll, I'll never lose that buzz, you know. I'll never lose that buzz when I see his work because it's just kind of like there's just this level of detail that I still can't attain, you know, with mine. So I go back and I look at his stuff of just how to handle things, how to handle type, how to handle color, how to invest in photography and stuff. So it's kind of like, you know, when I have kids come up to me, I, I'm pretty liberal with my, hey, if you like what I'm digging, you've got to go check, and I'll, I'll rattle off a bunch of you know, young punks, yeah. you know. I'm not afraid of, of sharing that. Does that make sense? Because I, I meet oh, yeah. a lot of, okay, okay, at 41 years old, I meet a lot of 51-year-olds who are pissed off at me, okay? Mm-hmm. And they'll say these things like, the shit you're doing, we were already doing it back in the 90s. I get a lot of that. And I just kind of say, well, I'm sorry, man, but you're going to die soon. Hmm. And I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what you're going to say to that. It sucks because it's like I understand that I'm on my way, you know, whatever, either up or out or whatever, and I hopefully have, have played it well to where I save some along the way and I don't have to be that nasty guy who's taking swipes at kids hmm. as they come up. Listen, 
whatever arc, whatever reason why you guys are calling me, that's on its downhill slide, or who knows if it's going to continue to get crazier. I don't know how much more I could do because there's just not enough time in the day. And it's just kind of like I've tried to take advantage of all of it, but when it does stop, you have to be graceful about that shit too. The end. You cannot be this mean, nasty thing who's going after these young kids because there's always going to be someone nipping at your heels. That's kind of what makes it fun, you know? So anyway, I'm I'm probably rambling now. Okay, what's no, the next question? What's the next yeah, question? Yeah, you're hitting some good stuff, man. I got one for you. Let's talk a little bit about what we, I think, in the industry try and do with our clients, although it's sometimes hard. And and what I call it is designing beyond your logo, creating some ambiance around great packaging and design, and making the logo maybe a little bit more discreet. And, and so leveraging this power of good design. Those cards I picked up at the American Marketing Association High Five Conference you designed is, a, is probably a, the best example I can think of. I was thinking about how to relate that idea, the concept of designing beyond the logo with the promotional products industry. And I know you sell and give away a lot of promotional products. And they're on sometimes the inexpensive things, the change purses, the, the 99 cent water bottle. Talk about that stuff if you can and how you've been able to improve revenues and extend your brand and what you're doing successfully with promotional products. You know, Danny, you listen, I know you're an animal underneath all that. I have <laughs> two children and all that shit. You tell me I know whatever the hell. Well, yeah. I know you're, listen, you're a nice stand-up guy, but listen, it's a thin veneer. I know right underneath that. You know, like, Listen to how you talk, like revenues and stuff. Listen. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, listen, I, I locked in on this guy because he had cool shit on his table, and some of it was goofball shit because that's still cool in my book, okay? And it's kind of like what I love about that stuff is, like, he understands it because that's what he deals in. I understand it because it's almost like a, an ironic thing to go back and find things that are dying or people don't, you know, understand the, the beauty of a pencil or of some little little promotional product. But here's the thing. My favorite stuff is when people don't come at it from an ironic approach and they really need it and they use it, ice scraper, let's say, you know, and they use it and it's got their logo. That is a beautiful transaction. And let's say someone flipped it to them at a promo show or some kind of, you know, they bought something from the store and as the way to sweeten the deal, which, which is what I, I watched my dad do all growing up as a salesman. You know, he always had some little fun thing. And even if there wasn't a sale made, he still gave some fun little thing to the to his client. You know, it was always some joke or functional little item that said Draplin Tool Supply, or it was a beer with a candy cane wrapped around it, right? Like at Christmas time, which he had to stop doing in the eighties because you know, like the, the rise of AA, and you know, people, you know, you couldn't give out a beer to these like hard scrabble like tool salesmen dudes, you know, like, you know, tool shop guys and stuff. You know, you couldn't do that. But I watched him. It was never just to like have to win the, the account or something. It was just because it was fun to do. And that always blew my mind because it was just kind of like, God, everyone started to come after my dad and say, hey, can I get one of those or whatever it was because they knew him that way. It wasn't that he was trying to like pull one over on the big shop owner. No, he just he really liked to like, you know, make these things functional for these guys, you know, in the back. If it was a little calendar or some little ruler or something. There's all shit those guys were using. So, you know, the couple instances I saw that growing up were really powerful to me. When I got into design, you know, I'm hired to make that stuff, and yet you go to some cool design shop, and I'm not talking CSA, that's, that shit was awesome, or House Industries, it was endless how much cool stuff they had, or T26. These are all guys in the 90s I remember, but it's like, you know, every time something came from T26, of course I was going to sponsor their typography and buy their stuff and, like, want to use them and champion them. You know, I still have allegiance to them. I still go look through the typefaces because they gave me so much extra stuff to reinforce every purchase I made. 
So with a client, it's no different. You know, it's like, thank you for trusting me with your brand, and here's some funny little things. And really, it's not all that funny. These things can elevate your brand or make, make someone laugh or make someone freak out over, over how much they're going to use that little pen or mm. something. That's that's the funny part about, like, I love when kids come up to me, they make fun of, I make a bunch of goofy stuff, you know, coin purses, and until you lose your toothbrush, and that, that little funny little, like, orange and black bristle toothbrush is the one that you have in your bag, guess what? That thing works pretty damn well. And I've had people come back to me and say, you know what? I gave you some shit because you had these little click pens for two bucks a piece. I've had that click pen on my desk for seven years now. That happens to me all the time, you know? Or when I go back to a city three years later, they're like, you know what, man? Those pencils that you were selling for a buck a pot, those were worth more than that. I hear this all the time, and I just kind of wink at them and say, you're right. The right packaging and the right stuff. I could have sold them for three times that, but no, fuck it. Just pick it up, put it in your pocket. In fact, you just take it. Just put it in your pocket right now because I like you. You know, right? Right? That's what I saw my dad do, and it's kind of like, that doesn't happen at some of these little QTS places in Portland, Oregon. Everything's got a barcode on it. Everything's cute, so painfully cute. And the funnest places are when you go into them and they're like, you know, every time you go to Ace Hotel in town here, you, like, grab those pencils because they're really nice. So what'd that cost them? It cost them a couple hundred bucks to make 10,000 pencils. That's just worth its weight. Like, that's an old-time way of reminding people. Like, I'm just standing up. I'm looking at my little thing of pencils right now, and there's totally, like, I've got a couple of those Ace ones because they are super, super nice. You know what I mean? And that's a pencil. Like, who even uses pencils anymore, right? Right? And it's like, you know, that's that's the whimsy of this stuff is, like, I love when I'll see my name tagged in something, and I go and I go there looking for field notes or looking for DDC shit, and it has nothing to do with either. They're just tagging me because they like the manufacturer of some, like, American-made little pencil or comb. Mm. That's really cool to me because I was excited to see another field note to be used, and you see a lot of that. But it's more like because I try to seek out these little anomalies, which are the last American-made coin purse, which is just like, I get made fun of now. As I was telling Danny last year, probably told him last week, you know, there's certain yeah. things I call for, and the girl is kind of like, seriously, you want those? You know, <laughs> and I know some of these people enough now to where they mess with me, and I'll say, that's, that's exactly what I want. Mm. I want that little vinyl card-carrying case. I don't care if anyone uses it. I'm going to put a little bit of copy on it, and I'm going to elevate it to something that's actually, like, functional. You put your... So what's the copy? Aaron, what's the copy on the coin purse, for example? Tell, tell us Oh, that. i gotta, I got to go get it. Let me see. I don't oh, know. Come on. You remember. Close. Let me see. I, I can't... I've got 140 SKUs, Danny. I can't remember this shit. I can't remember. All, all barcoded, man. What, what the hell, oh, you guys? I mean, just, I, got the, I, got the, I got the internet open. Hold on now. You know, I mean, here's the funny part about a coin purse is when you go take that coin, I'm looking it up right now. When you go look that thing up, I'm looking, I'm sorry, I'm looking on the web. Here we go. I'm, so I called it a spare change containment apparatus. Now, I know that's just funny and stupid. And you could have just called it a, you know, an orange coin purse or whatever the hell it was. I was told by the guys when I went to London, she just told me, bring 30 of those things. You'll sell all of them. I said, well, well, why is that? Why? You know, and she said, well, you know, here they use them in a really, really cool way. Like for all the, they call it shrapnel, which is the change for getting out and off the tube, right? Okay, so people use coins there. They use coins there, you know, and that's just like a really cool thing. But like, we don't even use coins in America anymore. So it's kind of like, what's that item that you cannot throw away in your junk drawer? That's kind of like these things. I like these things. Yeah. Check clips and oh, shit. Things. Yeah, I mean, like, I'm, I'm, I'm playing with one right now. But I'm talking. To, 
chip you clips do. still work. You know, like They're I need great. You know, we need chips. We have you know, you put it on bread. So I'm making one now, and I'm gonna call it you know the snack snack clip or some something stupid. I had some other name for it. You know, snack snack. I don't know, just some because you can't call it chip clip. That's like a thing. But it was something else with the word snack in it, and it was just the idea of like. That if if for them to build a business on just putting a little pad print on a piece of plastic, that's what they did. It's just really kind of cool to me. You know, it's like I love when these things sneak back and go. Okay, I've got these neat little things, fish hooks or guitar picks or or change. I'm going to put in this little coin purse, and that thing is really functional because it, I can see it, and it's great. You know, bouncing around in my guitar case, it's just cool to me. That's something that has a purpose in the world. You know, at first you you come up on it, you're kind of like, what is this? You know, so any of the fun stuff I've been able to make, like who even uses a comb anymore? Like I, I couldn't even get a comb through this mess. You know what I mean? But it's like I sell a mountain of combs, and I call them the hair organizer because it was just to make fun of it, man. It's like, but you know what the funny part is? I have friends who use them like a lot. You know, use them all the time. They keep them in their pockets and stuff because they have the nice, cool heads of hair. You know, whatever it is. I don't know. There always has to be like a functional quality to it where like I'm gonna use it or some friends are gonna use it or someone requested it and I just want people to use it, you know, a little emery boards or something. And then how can I make fun of it? It's got a print that goes on it. Mm. You know, we used to do that stuff in the most earnest tones. You know what I mean? It was very earnest. And for me to put on my emery board, you know, calculated prison breaks, it's just to see if someone's even gonna read that. You know, you get a space, you know, like Finger goes here. Like, you know, like when you're on a plane, it's a step here, like on a wing or something. Remember when you're making model planes and you're a kid and they had little decals that would say step here? Like, the idea that you would, like, it's a chip clip and I have a little arrow saying pinch here. <laughs> it's so stupid. Of course that's what you do, but the idea, there's something funny in that that, like, you have to remind people how to use it. That, that's just, that's just weird. Because what if, it was completely earnest. I like writing that line where they don't even know if I'm actually being serious. You know what I mean? That to me is yeah. funny. So I watched my dad do it. It was funny. It was stupid. I, I watched my dad do some things that I can't even talk about him here. But still, you know, it's like it's just interesting to me how that kind of kind of goes. But uh, anyway, okay, yeah. Is that, is that how's that? Did I talk way too much. That's fantastic. Sorry. Yeah. I was so excited to do a promo podcast because. <laughs> I love this stuff, man. I've made a great living off it, too, you know. And to this day, I'll get some turd who comes to the shop every now and again and go, you're making these now, you know, this kind of thing. And I'll just say, put it in your pocket, asshole, because when you use it, then you're going to take those words back, okay? You know, that's the fun stuff. And it happens every single time. You know, oh, man. And they kind of, like, flip it back in the thing, like, kind of like, it's discounted. You know what I mean? Like, they discount it. And I just like, eh, when you need a click pen, that's going to be a nice click pen, trust me. You know what I mean? I think, Aaron, yeah. the genius that you have brought, and I'm not just, you know, blowing sunshine here, but I think the genius that you've brought to all this is that, like, if you look at what you're selling, if you were to go into, like, the big promotional product show that is, you know, in any of the, any of the big cities, a lot of what you're selling is stuff that is, like, super cheap, super commoditized, super trashy, trinkets, tchotchkes, in another environment, right? And I think that what you've done is you've taken these relatively inexpensive products, you've applied great design mojo to them, you tell a great story around them, and then you've got this incredible emotional connection out of something that, in your hands, it's brilliant. 
in some other guy's hands, let's say a purchasing manager's hands at some Fortune 500 company is just looking for a bunch of click pens, it's a complete commodity. It's, it's just mm -hmm. stuff that just is shipped out from one warehouse into another's that's going into mm -hmm. some account manager's hand. And there's nothing more, I think, depressing than that when you've got other guys like you, and I, you represent the minority of people that are able to add stunning value through the simple yet very powerful active design. So, you know, I tip my hat to you. Well, thank uh, you. What's interesting here is, you know, a lot of the stuff, like I said, I have to use it too. I have to like look at it and go, I like this kind of pencil because it feels good in my hands, you know, a hex pencil or a wood pencil. And is it made in the state still? Oh, it is, it is. I mean, that is, it's like a little dodo or some little like dragon that's like a couple, you know, a couple species away from dying. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know how to say it. It's like a, their days are limited. They're little dinosaurs. Yeah. Because no, everything has been, you know, whatever you want to call it. But isn't it just funny that the quality of that thing, even somewhere far away, you know, whatever, because I have some stuff made far away, but it's like the quality of that thing was so simplified that it's just sad to me that we can't make a dumb pencil in, in the States anymore or whatever that would be, you know. But it's not that that's even a bad word, you know. It's like there's still things that I have to have from overseas because I just want that little piece here. You yeah. Know? Well, but, I think that's you know, going to change. The funny part is when you put good design on it and if it goes and sits in that Ace Hotel gift store, suddenly three of those pencils are 20 bucks. Yeah. Okay? Now, that's freaky to me. Now, that's the same pencil that some, you know, I don't know, marketing manager or, or, or licensing manager or whatever the hell, you know, went and found some merchandise manager, whatever you want to call it, merchandiser for the Ace Hotel. Yeah. And it's like, that's the charm. Because suddenly, if it's in MoMA, it's okay. A lot of that's the same shit you find in the rest of the world at that MoMA. You know what yep. I mean? Like the little trinkets and stuff. And why is it? That that same buzz when you go to some little roadside tchotchke stand, you know, in South Dakota, and it's like, man, that's for everybody here, you know. And then the only people that can afford it at these like super cultural, like, elite kind of joints, uh, well, whatever. It's the same chassis, yeah, but with a little different graphic. That's amazing to me. When I was in college and my thesis was, you know, fucking around with how, you know, you buy a T-shirt that has a Nike on it, it costs twenty-eight dollars. Hmm. <laughs> You buy a T-shirt with goddamn what was cool in 1998? I don't know, Boss or Hugo Boss or some A and E or I don't know any of them. Uh, Amber Crabby and Fitch or some bullshit. And the same white T-shirt with the same graphic on it is 65 bucks. And then you go to Target and you buy a T-shirt for eight bucks. Yeah. Like, what kind of world do we live in? You know. And that's what I was like getting ready to just go right to the edge of the diamond board and go dive into because I remember, you know, having my thesis. We had professionals come in and the guy looking at me going. What are you going to do when you have to make a T-shirt for Nike? I remember saying to him, take as much as I can get off those bastards. And that's the way it's been a couple times. But every <laughs> podcast I do and every talk I do and I talk about Nike, I guess who doesn't get any more calls from Nike? But that's okay. <laughs> but every now and again, you know, someone who doesn't know what a mess I've been able to react against will call right. me from Nike and say, hey, we saw this and you want to work on this and that, blah, 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 blah you know, whatever. Right. But, um, well, you reject them. They want you more. But, uh, hey, Aaron, um, you, you have been – so generous with your time here today, and I, you know, I thought this we, was a four-hour podcast. Well, <laughs> you, you know what? I mean, hopefully you you've had as much fun as we have. You know, it would be Criterion really cool. Collection, Criterion Collection. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly, exactly. I think we got you all of them. I think the only thing we didn't get is where you say, "Hey, Aaron, where do you go buy all this stuff?" And that's when I say you go to Traplin.com, twenty-four hours a day, and you find the merch section, and you get your wallet out. And you feel good about all those purchases, and then you go over when you're done spending a shit whack of money there. You go over to fieldnotesbrand.com and 
and then you, you buy a bunch of field notes, nine ninety five for a whole new life, and uh, you know paper and staples and limited editions and subscription services and all sorts of cool shit. And that's the only part we didn't quite cover, and now we're getting to it. So you guys do what's right for America, <laughs> for for Danny Rosen. You know, I don't know how that. You know. <laughs> nice seeing you again, man. It was nice seeing you. Thanks for having me out there. I had a great time. And yeah, was, thank it you. It was cold, but man, you know, you you knew your way around that salmon. I knew my way around that uh, that little filet mignon. Remember? Yeah, hmm. that's right. That's right. Yeah, all right. All right. And I got I got a couple things I'm gonna send. I need you to you know off the air. You gotta send me your address because I, I collected a couple little goodies when I got back here for you. That I need to send to you. So uh, you know, based on some of our discussions. So anywho. We'll make that happen, but definitely. And you know what? Hey, here's the here's last little thing, you know, because I think it's important you get a plug. Can distributors buy field notes branded with their customer logos on them? And if so, yeah. they yeah, just yeah, yeah. shoot you an email. Do, do you want to share yeah. your contact information with people? or is oh, it yeah. just you, you come to my site. There's a little contact form. And you can also go and do all that at Field Notes brand. If anyone's here, because we do a lot of stuff. We have, like, professional people in, in Chicago. If it was up to me, I would have ran this thing into the ground years ago. But Jim Kudal, my... You know, the, the guy who rescued me from obscurity, Jim Kudal, you know, he has an incredible staff that he's assembled in. And, um, you know, that would all kind of start with Michelle Seiler. If anyone has any questions, you can contact Michelle through the Field Notes website, and she'll help you with any kind of promo stuff or, you know, these really vicious limited editions that we've been doing for everything from J. Crew to Levi's to Threadless to all sorts of cool stuff. And, awesome. and you can make them and sell them at your conferences. And we have an incredible collector culture that will go after those things and go crazy. And thank you to all the field nuts. I know you got to thank those guys, you know, for just being wild and enjoying our product. But you know, yeah, we do stuff down to like 150 for a little conference. And that really, you got to go to the you know fieldnotesbrand.com and find Michelle and those characters out in, in uh, Chicago, and they'll get you on the right path. So, we will do it. Well, right. Aaron, thank you, sir. That was amazing. Really appreciate all right. it. All right. I hope so. Thank, Thank you. you so much. And, uh, you know, uh, I hope everyone you know, lives until they're 100 years old and makes a mountain of money and uh, is healthy. So, we'll try it. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the Promo Kitchen Podcast. If you like what you hear, you can subscribe to the podcast through iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcasting service. And remember, you can always get involved in the Promo Kitchen community by visiting us on the web at promokitchen.org. See you next time.